Mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Yeah, yeah, that's me. I am excited today to podcast. I've got a friend back on the show. He's actually live and in studio. I've got Poetic Math with me today. What's going on, Jay? Thanks for having me. You bet, you bet. Uh, I'm actually really excited today. I had a breakthrough in some ways. Um, You ever have that task that you put on the to-do list, you know you need to do it, you know how important it is, you're not dreading it, but you don't really want to do it. It's not necessarily the the thing you're excited to go do. And so it stays on your to that task list, and then days go by. I finally did this very simple task. has to do with my business, had to, has to do with government regulation and licensing and things like that. I finally took care of it today, and it took me... It took me like 20 minutes total. And I was like, gosh, why didn't I just do this four days ago? But it like... I feel like it it like slid something loose, like something broke loose because I was it was in the back of my head this uh not necessarily dread think of something less than dread, but I finally did it and now it's like yes, it's done. So I'm having a pretty good day today. I nice. feel yeah, I feel like uh you know if if I was a mystic person I'd say, "Oh, my my uh middle thora- or my thoracic chakra may have been loosened." Oh. I I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes I wish I could speak more about those things just to bring the mystics in cuz I love them so much, but no, yeah. no, I don't know. I what do we have like 6 7 chakras? 7. Yeah. 7 chakras. And you're here. You're in studio. I am. This has been awesome. Awesome. I, uh, you know, just want to say thanks too for having me. And, uh, I, you know, I came out here to go and forage some mushrooms. It's been uh, not quite what I hoped. It's been a funky year this year. Uh, there's just not a lot happening on the forest floor, at least for the mushrooms that I've been looking for. And that's uh, the lobster and chanterelle. So, uh, you know, a little bummed going, going back home, a little empty handed compared to what I imagined I was going to do. But hey, I love being out in the forest. It's so good for me to walk around and forage and have a purpose and do that. And, uh, you know, even when it's a bad day, it's still a good day. That's awesome. Way to look at the bright side, because yeah. I know you're a little disappointed with the haul that yeah. you brought in today and yesterday. But you brought something up. You're an out-of-towner. Now, yeah. you, you used to live in my my hometown, Olympia, Washington. Tell us about this radical change that you put your family through uh, just in the last couple months in this past year. Um, why the change? Uh, tell tell the folks what, what happened and the decision process and what led to this move for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're in Idaho now, up in uh, n- northern Idaho, and... So it started basically um, with everything happening here in Washington when when it comes to, you know, the, you know, obviously last year was the pandemic started in March and we saw, you know, decisions and things that were, you know, being made from my kids not being able to be in person in school for most of the year to then having to be masked full time while they were in school when they got back for the last couple months of the year was all it really was. Um, you know, that was really a difficult time for me. I was, you know, kind of forced to become a, a first grade 
teacher, which I never imagined. And is, I mean, it's a difficult job to do. I mean, I do give a lot of props to the teachers that do it. Uh, it's, it's very repetitive. It's very, you know, you just got to drill, drill, drill. So, you know, that, that was uh, really a hard time. And then, you know, when, after the year it ended, there was a bunch of uh, legislative things that passed here in Washington that came to the teaching of, kind of it's critical race theory they're not calling it that obviously they were calling it diversity inclusion and equity type uh, programs but they're going to start implementing and moving on those pretty quickly and and i i, I don't see it as a healthy um f- frame for trying to view the world i see it as more doing more harm to young people and really the culture in general than good so you know we, we my wife and i had been talking about it and i was like kind of like whoa i can't believe they're doing this uh, it's, you know, let's start looking at some other places that aren't into this. And, you know, I started researching, I mean, Idaho is right next door. So I started reaching there, researching there. And I saw that, um, you know, the Lieutenant governor was pretty outspoken against, um, these kind of diversity, inclusion and equity programs and being taught in K through 12, which was good. A, a person I follow online a little bit, James Lindsay, who's kind of like a phil- philosopher of this stuff to kind of combat it. He was, um, actually selected to be part of this, like, uh, educational board uh, reform thing to try to push back on some of the programs and actually be able to give people talking points of like why it doesn't work and and that so I, it kind of gave me some confidence and then uh, uh, real quick uh, is James Lindsay from Idaho? No, he I believe is from Tennessee. Then how did that how how did James Lindsay because uh, you were talking about uh, the factors to move to Idaho? Where did uh, where did did Lindsay? Uh, say something positive about Idaho. Where does James James Lindsay come into that equation? Okay, so he he was selected as like a, a like a panel member and in, in this Idaho like school reform board that they were trying to like they were going through to look at all these things. And again, I've been following him for over a year as far as like his stance against and on these principles, right? And so that gave me the confidence knowing like, Hey, look, they're going to pick this guy along with other people as well. I think Chris, Chris Rufo might've been on that. Who's been a pretty, you know, vocal against this stuff getting brought into the K through 12 zone. So anyway, it just made me feel good about the state and the direction that they were heading as far as in regards to this particular issue on the, on the, on the education of the kids. And, you know, it, that's a big thing for me. I have young kids and, it's just not a battle I want to fight. I mean, it, and it's not so much particularly just that I have to like, oh, okay, what are your teachers telling you? Oh, this, and I have to sit, and that's fine. I can handle some of that. It's not something I want to do, but the biggest part is going to be the culture that then develops around that, meaning their friends, the parents of their friends, and you know, you, you find yourself in a situation where you have a lot of people who are, I guess I want to say believers of this, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion and equity program stuff. And um, it puts a lot of pressure on the kids to conform with that. And it's not it's just something I didn't want to have to have my kids experience and go through. And I mean, I'm really just looking out for them in that decision. And so it was really not a difficult decision or I didn't see it as being a very radical one. It was one that just made the most sense for our family because of the age of our children and the fact that we hadn't. You know, besides you and a, and a couple other people, I hadn't developed a lot of long-term friends because I'd only been here in Olympia for a couple of years. And, um, you know, it was just, it was good. And then uh, an opportunity came up with my wife for her work to be able to be transferred out that way. And then it, it ended up happening and kind of worked out perfectly and everything just sort of the stars aligned that was really well. And, and there we are. And now we're happy. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, happy to report that it's, 
it's much more um, the, the way that I see my life and my for my kids and everything in Idaho than than it has been here. And I, I mean, I love a lot of things about Washington, just not not the uh, I guess I guess just like the heavy handed authoritarian uh, politicians here, you know, it's just, it's, it's when it goes beyond that, not to disparage, uh, neighbors and community members, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's the people that go along with it and then promote it and support it. Those totalitarian, um, mandates and rules that come down from false science. And it's always, always stated to be in the name of science. Um, that's wonderful that you had a family that, that you, you and your wife could come to that decision and make such a big move um, and that it's been successful for you guys. I, um, I saw a little tidbit on um, this couple that divorced because of vaccines. One didn't want to get the vaccine and didn't think they should get the vaccine, and the other wanted to get the vaccine and thought the other should get the vaccine. And it made me very thankful that in my relationship with my life partner, um, we are on the same page. And we, we came to that page from two completely different um, information sources, right? From two different directions, we came to basically the same conclusion. And it's very fortunate that we, that we are. Because this is kind of a battle that's going on inside family homes um, that shouldn't really be there. And I guess the reason I brought that up is because it's great that you and your wife are on the same page, because that would be something that would put stress, strain on your relationship and possibly break up your home. Yeah, um, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm very grateful. My wife is amazing. Um, we, you know, we, we, we fight and hash it out and talk about, you know, big issues and things, but we're usually able to kind of come to a, you know, uh, some sort of an agreement on, on issues and things. And, you know, we're both, I feel like pretty reasonable people. It's not always like the most enjoyable, fun thing to have difficult discussions, but, you know, uh, she's great. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we're, we're all about our, our kids, you know, like it's, it's like, you know, sometimes you have to put yourself aside or, you know, you, you don't put yourself first and, you know, it's like kids are the best thing for really showing and teaching you that, you know, that you just, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's more about, you know, the future generations, your lineage, what you're leaving here. You want to leave the world a better place. You want to create humans and give them more opportunity than what you've had and, and this and that. And, you know, we're both, you know, that's kind of the core foundation of both of us. And it's just, it's all about them and, and trying to, you know, give them a life that we, we you know, that we want to see for them. And, and you know, that's about it. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's amazing the propaganda that we are in a battle with. Like you just talked about the totalitarian um, mandates and rules that have been brought down. And I mentioned the support then that comes from people that are buying into um, this corporate oligarchical um, source of information. They've decided what is good information, what is bad information, and people aren't looking through it to see the profit motives or the um, sometimes the scarier motives, those motives of control and organization um, that are behind these, um, what, what do you want to call it, information toll booths? Yeah, I mean, the media. 
Yeah, and it, it, the media is is doing us a disservice. So you know, once again, we we feel fortunate that in our families we're kind of on the same page. But you can see how um, there's other families out there that might not be on the same page, and it's it's very difficult because you can cherry pick and you can go to so many different sources of information, and everybody could be arguing the opposite and yet using. Um, valid information, the way that statistics have been been manipulated, the way language has been manipulated. Isn't it interesting that, you know, from the onset, there are so many examples that you would think would wake people up, but it's possible they're just not seeing it because they're trapped in their own information silo. One example I came across recently that I tweeted out was the, the redefining of the word vaccination. Mm-hmm. They're redefining words to fit the current narrative. Yeah, and it's—I mean, that's 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 some 1984 stuff. That's some propaganda stuff. That's some scary stuff. Well, I mean, that's exactly like what Ibram X. Kendi has done to, with to get his whole anti-racism stuff. He he redefined literally the definition of what racism is. You know what I mean? So it's it's you know yeah, it's the pandemic. It's everything that we're seeing in 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 our culture and in, in from that. I, I just want to define it as like a, a radical left side that, you know, that's that's far out there. I mean, that's how they do things exactly is what they do. They have to redefine the definition of words that we for as a culture have held for many, many years in order to even have a chance for their ideologies to make any sense whatsoever. And I mean, that's another great example just with the vaccine of the same thing. It's the same principle of yeah, oh, okay, we'll just change the word vaccination. Now, Now I guess it really doesn't mean what it used to. Now it's going to, like, just offer you protection. That's great, you know, and, and by definition, I mean, and I've heard others talk about this, is this even really a vaccine? Uh, doesn't appear so. It's, if you, it's if you look gene at therapy. It. And they, they even said, I watched in this episode, the, the, the snippet I watched about this divorcing couple, um, they, they talked about it from the perspective of this poor woman her husband went down these rabbit holes of conspiracy theory. Oh yeah, and they said everything was disproven. Um, like like he believed this this crazy thing that the that the vaccine is going to alter his DNA, and yeah. and then when you actually look at it as far as like words and definitions and the things that matter, this vaccine is an mRNA gene therapy, and gene therapy does alter your DNA. It's it's not a conspiracy. It's fact. Yeah. But they somehow can flip that, and it, so instead of lying about the actual thing, they just say, "Well, that's conspiracy theory." Yeah. And and it discredits in some ways something that's scientifically factual. Yeah, I haven't dug into like the actual mechanisms of the vaccine and how it affects genes. I have listened to I. I I think it was Brett Weinstein, because I do listen to him talk about it. And he did talk a little bit about that. And I think he kind of was like on the fence whether he would define it as gene therapy or not. He was kind of saying that it's like it could be, but that might, you know, like we. So I, I, I don't know if I'm like there quite yet with that you know what i mean but but it, it very likely well could be i don't but i don't understand again the exact mechanisms of how it works and interacts and you know i know that it's supposed to create like these you know spike proteins but where does that how does that mechanism work to make those happen so you know i i i kind of am just 
waiting for more information to you know to to get that definition in my mind with it. But it's certainly not what they're telling us that yes, it is. But even <laughs> but even going through it, so now the emergency use authorization has been granted for five to eleven year olds. Yikes. And at no point during this pandemic have five to eleven year olds' lives been in danger. Right. It's what what would the what would the percent of oh, yeah. of COVID survival rate be for five to eleven year olds? Ninety nine point nine percent. Yeah. If they if they even got it. So now there's parents out there that are believing that that don't have the time or the inkling to go out and investigate truth on their own. They just get swirled up in irrational fear and they think that the government is here to help them and yeah. big pharma is here to protect them. And so they, they, they think they're doing the right thing. Right. And that's what's scary to me is everything's flipped on its head these days, and we're seeing that these organizations that should have our best interest at heart are actually hurting us. Yeah. And, and it doesn't make sense besides what I've pointed out on this show in past episodes and, and in my conversations with people. It, it, it seems like a content marketing program from uh, the pharma companies for this vaccine. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at then the also, you know, to just go one step even further is then somehow as well is that it's now they've got the propaganda out there that if you go ahead and get your kids vaxxed or yourself vaxxed or whatever, that means you're a better person. So they've given this like virtual signal platform to people that are going to do it. And then it's like, yes. so now it's like, oh, oh, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a Democrat. I vote left. So I better do this because now I'm a good person. And then once they do it now, it's like, oh, well now I can go around cause I've done it and I've complied. Now I'm the good person. And I have a, you know, I have a podium to stand upon and, you know, talk down to others who decide not to, because I can virtue signal now and, and say that I, I've done the right thing and you should do it too. And I don't, I don't to me, that is, that is insane. What, what how, how is this reality? I, uh, I don't know. That's it. it it does, it does get frustrating, especially in the face of the scientific factual information. I've gone, I've gone through it, I don't know if it was the last podcast or the one before, where we're talking about the VAERS incidents, right? We're talking about VigiAccess, which is a World Health Organization data collection tool for um, incidents regarding medications, right? And you can search COVID-19 vaccine yeah. and see all the incidents from the vaccine. On top of that, we're finding now that the vaccinated not just can get COVID, this term breakthrough is almost silly at this point, right. they not only can get COVID, but they can spread it. And if you follow the logical step just a little bit further, they have their, their symptoms are reduced, yeah. right? So if you get COVID and you're vaccinated, your symptoms will be reduced. What does that mean? That means that you're just fine to go out there and go grocery shopping, and you think you're fine, you just got the sniffles, maybe just a little bit of a cough because, hey, it's— uh, It's winter. It's, it's winter. It's that season, right? But you have just as high of viral loads as an unvaccinated person. Yeah. So people are starting to say the quiet things out loud now, and that is— are the vaccinated super spreaders. Well, they're the asymptomatic spreaders. 
Yes. Remember the asymptomatic spreaders from the beginning of the breakout? They were the ones, the dangers that lurked that you couldn't know. Yes. Now, and that's still being put forth. That's still being put forth in the propaganda media that it's the asymptomatics unvaccinated that are out there harming, you know, everybody's grandmother and children and things like that. But in all reality, it's actually the vaccinated. um, And it's, I am not blaming, I am not scared of the people. I don't want anybody to get my words confused. I'm just trying to follow logic. I'm trying to follow logic with the facts that we have so that we can all start getting our head wrapped around reality. Because it seems like there's a non-reality that is pushed and promoted and forced onto people from the media and and a lot of our elected officials. Mm -hmm. And, And it's... It's interesting that you pointed out that when the people get vaccinated, um, they become a, they're told they're a good person, that they're saving lives, mm-hmm. right? But they're also um, encouraged to get other people vaccinated. They're like, what's what's that term? They pro- they proselytize. Yeah, they're if, if, or what's the yeah they're like becoming uh, evangelicals yeah. for the jab. Yes, yes. Okay, so. In what we're talking about, we're talking about freedom of choice, right? We're talking about you make your decision, I'll make my decision with the information that I have. Informed consent. Informed consent. And I'm not going to, you know, when I used all those words about vaccinated possibly being the super spreaders out there, I'm just, I'm not trying to attack them. I'm not saying that they are wrong. What I'm saying is we all need to readdress how we're looking at this. And at no point are the people who chose freedom first going to impose anything upon the people that got the jab right. or that are out there proselytizing, out there um, evangelic, you know, evangelically like spreading the word of the jab. Yeah. Come off that cliff. Join us in reality. Right. If you got vaccinated, you should be more protected. You should have uh, lesser symptoms as according to the data. Right. Right. So it may not be effective as a vaccine under the old definition, Mm -hmm. um, but it is it is going to help you. Um, And 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 let's all cross our fingers and let's pray and let's say some positive thoughts. That's not going to hurt them if they got past the initial um, the initial danger area of where we've seen a lot of the myocarditis, a lot of the Bell's palsy, a lot of the things like that typically happens within a shorter time period after the jab. What I'm saying is, can we just all come together? one of the things I've been thinking of since you moved to Idaho, and I went to Eastern Washington at one point. I went to Las Vegas in this past year mm-hmm. um, when there were no mandates. And here in Olympia, Washington, right on the I-5 corridor, it it is—I I can only think that New York— in New Jersey, parts of New York and New Jersey are worse than what we're going through here on the I-5 corridor from California through Oregon to Washington with the mandates. Can you tell people a little bit about what it's like? You know, uh, because in Idaho, there's no man, no mask mandate, correct? Correct. There's, um, you, you, you are, you're, you're a stay-at-home dad. Uh, there's no pressure for you to get vaccinated. No. Um, are people dropping dead on the streets? Everywhere. There's literally bodies piled up in between the freeways. No. I mean, it's ridiculous. No. I mean, in fact, I went and cruised. You know, I, I saw a local uh, news story online 
that our hospital was overwhelmed, you know? And so I said, Hey, okay, I'm going to go drive by and look. And, and it, I'll admit it looked busy. It didn't look by my definition. Again, I don't know. I'm not a medical person. I don't work in hospitals. I have never, you know, I mean, inside the hospital, but you know, I just checked out the parking lot, see, you know, there was cars and it wasn't like, you know, ambulances lined up, you know, dropping off people and emergency, yeah. you know, it wasn't what I would imagine like a war zone or something to be right. Or like, Right after Pearl Harbor attack. A, a, a pandemic yeah, in, right. in a place that was choosing no protection. Right. Okay. And so then I dug a little deeper and I dug in. And at the time, and this was, you know, three, four weeks ago, maybe. Um, The numbers were, I think it said they had, we had 41 people in the ICU in the hospital because of COVID. And I thought to myself, wow, that doesn't seem that much to me. Now, again, I'm probably ignorant of, you know, like the capacity and the number of beds. It's probably a smaller hospital that probably is pushing it. But the thing that I thought about is like how many people are in our county? Because this is like our county hospital. Yes. So I went and I looked that up and I think I can't remember exactly the number offhand, but I want to say in Kootenai County, Kootenai County, whatever it is, uh, something like 270,000 people in the whole county. So if you do the math on that, if you have 41 people out of that, I mean, it is such a small number of people that are in the ICU because of COVID. And then like, I just didn't understand how this was worthy of a, uh, a news headline saying that it was like out of control and, oh my gosh, you, you, you terrible people in Idaho who don't want to wear masks and get vaccines. Like you guys are just destroying the healthcare industry. It was kind of the feeling of the article that I read, you know? And it was, it it was like, I just, it doesn't seem to match up with reality when you start to dig an actual look at the data and the numbers and the facts. And then, and then the, the, uh, the propaganda trick with the statistics there when you hear the word um, hospitals are overwhelmed, right. it's not necessarily, when they talk about capacity, that's with labor, right? Yeah. So if they're firing nurses, if they're laying people off, um, that restricts their capacity. But they still give the statistics based upon the capacity that they have. It's yeah. not the capacity of the hospital and all the beds. It's the beds that they can... Um, uh, service, yeah. right? That they have the labor to service. So, in the face of all of this, we're also firing the people that worked through the pandemic when there was no vaccine. Right? They're they choo- were heroes. They're choo- they, they were heroes. They were choosing to not get vaccinated from their own. However, they came to that conclusion, they chose not to get vaccinated. Yeah, many of them are doctors or nurses that like have chosen not to do it. And now they're being fired right. for not being vaccinated. It's um Now if I'm not mistaken, I think Idaho rescinded that. I don't think Idaho has been firing their uh, sure. people. Not necessarily in your area, but yeah. uh, I know for a fact in New York City, for example, right. there are areas where that is going on. Yes. And the government is even putting pressure with uh, with anybody that gets federal funding, yep. um, any corporations that uh, have over, a hun- hun- over 100 employees, any corporations that contract with the federal government, um, they're, they're trying to put forth this mandate. It's, it's a bizarre world we're living in. Yeah. And it's very interesting that in the middle of this, you made the decision to flee a certain region um, of the Pacific Northwest for another one. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to get at is, is 
when you come between the two different areas, uh, Olympia and northern Idaho, can you just speak to, you know, sure, we were joking. There's not dead people on the, on the streets. People aren't just dropping dead. But what is that, what is that difference? Why? I'm trying to understand, because when, when I went to Las Vegas, nobody had masks on. The streets were packed. I, I love downtown Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And so it's these open walkway streets where just people were everywhere. Yeah. And it was, it was wonderful. I, I, I really enjoyed the energy. I enjoyed seeing people happy. I enjoyed seeing people having fun. Yeah. Right? And then you come back. And you know, I get get people to give me the stink eye if I walk into the uh, local grocery store or my office max without a mask on. It's it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Can you speak to the differences? Because we're uh, you you didn't leave the Pacific Northwest. Northern right. Idaho is still in the Pacific Northwest. What what is the difference just in feeling and with the people from Olympia to Northern Idaho? Yeah, it's really different. You know, the, the majority of the people there, and, you know, I'm interacting a lot with uh, parents at my children's elementary school, um, just neighbors. You know, I'm, I don't have a big social life. I'm not, you know, out, you know, m- you know, doing a lot of things outside of that stuff. Um, but in a, it, it's amazing. It's like, you know, the, the majority, the vast majority of the people that I run into, um, you know, I guess I'll give an easy example. Like I went to a, my, my kindergartner had a, uh, special thing for, they finished their alphabet thing and all the parents came in and they dressed up like this letters and did a bunch of stuff and whatever. So anyways, all the parents were in the gymnasium there. I mean, I saw, I believe there was two sets of parents. So four people out of, I would say there was a, cause it was all three of the kindergarten classes in together into the gymnasium and doing this thing together. It was, I mean, there had to have been a hundred to 125 parents would be my best guess. And I saw four wearing masks indoors in a gymnasium. Everybody was relaxed. They had us in chairs sitting next to each other. There was no, there's just not that fear factor. Like they haven't bought into the propaganda that you're going to kill me if you're not vaccinated and don't wear a mask. You know what I mean? It's like people there, I guess they're just using their common sense. I mean, I've had numerous conversations with tons of people who just say, I mean, a lot of people that I bumped into out there are like, we've had COVID. We got it. We got sick. It was not ba- that bad. We, we, we made it through. Not er- and not everybody has that outcome. You know what I mean? Yes, some people die. But you know what I mean? Again, let's look at the statistics and the data, you know, and I have talked to a lot of people and it's anecdotal. It's individuals, but they've gotten COVID and elderly people. I have a neighbor three or four down streets down, uh, both in their 70s, both got COVID. You know, they're healthy people. They're. You know, that's another thing, too. I've noticed, you know, the people are really they look healthier to me in the in in Idaho overall. And I don't know if that could be just some kind of bias that I'm seeing into things, but it looks like people like work out more. They eat better. They're not, you know, here I see people that are like they look more overweight. They're out of shape. They're or really, really skinny. Like they have no muscle mass whatsoever. You know, well, well, things are getting better here. You used a uh, school example. Yeah. Um. I, I have been maskless. Um, you talked about an indoor event. Um, I've been to outdoor events, mm-hmm. and I've a year ago I was the only one. You know, there was a, right. a stadium watching an outdoor match, yeah. and and you know it was uncomfortable. I was the only one without a mask. Yeah, 
and it was strange. Um, went to another high school event. Now, this was of two schools that are from smaller rural areas, but it was in Olympia, Washington. And I didn't, I can't recall seeing a mask at that one. That's nice. So, you know, that, that was nice. What's interesting is none of the mandates have gone away. Right. None of those rules have gone away. That's it's true. So are people, st- with all of the data that's coming out, um, are people starting to see through? Are people finally, a majority of the people, starting to see through? And we're just seeing the propaganda from the media and uh, information siloing, you know, trying to get you all heated coming through on social media yeah. um, that's kind of making it seem like it's not. Yeah, maybe it's just kind of going to burn out. I mean, I know that in Idaho, the people, uh, the, the, they're, they're not, again, not everybody. There are some people for sure, but I mean, it's it's few and far between. It's like the vast majority of people that you're there with, uh, they feel comfortable. They're not afraid. They, some have the vaccine, some don't have the vaccine. Um, when I go into stores, I, I would say I maybe see 15 to 20% of the people wearing masks still, you know, most of them are usually look elderly that have maybe additional, uh, potential, you know, uh, comorbidity. Yeah. Co- comorbidities. Isn't it, isn't it interesting the language and the, and the words that we've all learned during this pandemic that we're always there, but now we all know them. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the accountant from Washington business owner and now knows about comorbidities. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, you know, so I do see that. Um, but for the most part, again, it's like people are just kind of living their life and it's, it's, I, you know, as far as like what I can tell, they're living their, their lives, doing normal things, kind of trying to be as normal as possible that we can. I mean, be aware, but you know, I mean, just don't live in fear. Right. Where again, you know, I didn't spend much time out in the public here. I've been in the woods both days the whole time. I did go to one restaurant and I was required to wear my mask to go in and that was fine. Um, I forgot to take it. I forgot to put it on when I got up out of habit. I just walked out. I paid my... I, I don't pay budget. no attention to those signs. I, Some, I, someone has to tell me to, do to it. put it yeah. on. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I, I hadn't worn one in so long. So I was like, ah, what the heck I'll put it on. But then I, I just have it. I put it in my pocket and I'm just not used to doing it. So I just got up and I walked and I waved and just was like, bye, have a good day. And I, I think nobody, it was, it felt normal that way. So I, I don't know. I haven't interacted a lot, but my guess is like from what I remember, but again, times have changed a little bit where, you know, I've been out there for what, uh, four months now. Um, it, you know, four months ago we were in a different place with this. So I don't know. I can't really speak to the way like the general people are here. Um, well, no, I'll give, I'll give yeah. you, I'll give you an example. My son, um, is still required to wear a mask, uh, at, at his high school. Um, he has teachers that he can tell are kind of cool with it. And he has teachers that are, uh, mask Nazis and will get him in trouble if he brings it below his nose. You know, it's, um, and as a parent, I, you know, I just ask him, I say, please take it off as much as you can. Please breathe. Right. You know, please get away from it. I talked to him. We got to wash your mask. Have you, have you changed your mask recently? You know, we're trying to do things. They, uh, they also are uh, giving out jabs. They're giving out the vaccine. It, it's free. Didn't you know? It's free. Come on and get it. Pfizer is donating all of these vaccines for free. Come on down to your local high school. Bring your children and get, the, get them jabbed today. Nothing's free. So, you know, and I just don't, people think 
they hear that free, they don't understand that the taxpayer grift, um, the monetary supply, they're just printing money. I think something like $35 billion one company, Pfizer, is uh, due to bring in um, from the vaccine this year. It's it's crazy. And that billions, those billions, they go, it goes a long way in marketing. And that's where we're seeing. We're seeing all of that marketing come out in the propaganda. If you just look at it from yeah. that one aspect, that that financial um, aspect, that that profit incentive, right. you know, where they 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 give the money through Gavi, they give the money through the World Health Organization, all the way down through the media. They sponsor everything on the yeah. media um, to your local doctors, where people don't even realize how the doctors are incentivized to get their client base vaccinated. They don't even understand. The doctor doesn't tell them, "Oh, hey, I make a I make an extra hundred k this year right. if I get to this certain." level of vaccination within my healthcare base. Absolutely. They don't they don't say that um, from informed consent shouldn't they say that that's my profit motive. Absolutely. No, and I mean and th- this is what's funny about this whole switch. You know, when, I remember when the vaccines were first being talked about and it was Trump who was talking about it. And at the time uh, the the you know the liberal left was kind of against it, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to do the vaccine. Who would trust the vaccine? Blah 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 blah. It's too fast. Da-da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, okay, yeah, this kind of makes sense um, because the left has typically always been the anti-vax group in history so far, right? Like they were the ones, you know, I I guess there was some people, maybe like super religious people that didn't want to do it for religious reasons or like, you know, not, I must say like not Mormons, but uh, Quaker, I don't know, whatever the thing is. But uh, so, you know, but, but for the most part, the people that were always like, it's my body, my choice, like this is this and this is that and talking about data and things. and, And they were the ones who would get into the actual details about the economic stuff behind pharmaceutical stuff. And use that as a defense and an argument of why they thought it was not okay to get just shoot your kid up with 50 vaccines or however many doses you got to give these days it's crazy of all the stuff you know and and I was kind of like on the fence when I had first had kids about what we were going to do with the with just the regular old vaccine we ended up getting both of my children fully vaccinated with all the shots and it's a lot of stuff and we had a bad experience with my youngest um you know she got a new they we my my wife at the time was you know home with the kids and she took her in and we were we had made the decision we would do all the vaccines but we were going to uh change it up and um get them individually not do the cocktail mixes because i had seen some research saying that sometimes there's bad outcomes depending for the immune system and it's kind of when they're so young it's taxing on the immune system to do so many at one time and Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about it. So we said, okay, we're going to do them, but we're going to just break it up and space it out. So be it, we got to go in It's, it's difficult because they don't like getting shots, but we're going to space them all out that way. Well, she went in to do that and they said, oh, we don't offer that separate anymore. It's only available through the mix, but you've got to get it because you got to have this and you got to have this. So my wife reluctantly went along and said, okay, fine. And this was in the afternoon and I was working and came back home that evening and my daughter started having a fever. Well, that night she was feverish, really upset the whole night, uh, was up crying throughout the night, didn't sleep much. The next morning, it was early, uh, her fever, I think it got up to about 103, 104, something like that. And she was very young, uh, had a febrile seizure right in my arms holding her. I mean, my wife, we kind of panicked, uh, you know, because it, it, was, it was frightening. Uh, we called the 911 and the ambulance came. 
took her and my wife went with her and I came to the hospital and and fortunately she was fine, but it was very frightening. And I mean, I guess some people out there could argue, oh, uh, what's it? Causation does not mean correlation that that can't prove that that vaccine was the cause of that. But I'm like, okay, she got the shot in the afternoon, started getting a fever two hours later. You know, I mean, I'm a parent. I was there. I I know what happened. It was because of that. Well, lo and behold, about a few months later, after we decided to go back and continue our vaccination schedule, and we were asking and talking about that we had a bad reaction to that one and to make sure that we weren't doing any more combinations, lo and behold, they didn't offer that anymore because there was too many uh, bad side effects being reported about that new combo shot. So that put me on edge about vaccines and doing it against the way that we had decided to do it. And that was, you know, and again... You know, when it comes to talking about the kids and the vaccine for the kids, this is just another reason of like, well, we don't know. Like, why are we going to rush into these new things that we're told are safe, that we're assured are safe? When again, like the bad outcomes that they're likely to have is so low. Like, why are you going to roll the dice? Extremely low. Extremely low. Um, And that's and I just want to be clear. You were talking about um, regular uh, regular vaccinations that kids get when they're young. Yes. Not the covid vaccination. No, no, no. Yeah. So I want to take a break. I didn't realize we were going to go on for 40 minutes and talk COVID talk. And I apologize to the audience because I'm sure everybody is spent on this particular topic. They didn't need to hear us uh, wax on for 40 minutes about it. I'm going to bring him back after the break. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. Yeah. This is John Devon, The Foundation. I want to encourage you to spread the love and share the conservative hippie podcast. We are building this community one person at a time. Hey, have you ever thought about a vaporizer to consume your dry herb? It's the least damaging way to enjoy your flower. A vaporizer takes 99% of the carcinogens out of the smoking process. And I know the perfect vaporizer just for you. Smoke and Jays developed the perfect vaporizer over years of trial and effort. Click on the link in the show notes. It will take you to the SmokeAndJays.com Perfect Vaporizer page. And a 15% discount will automatically be applied to your purchase. It's palm-sized for portability, and it has three different temperature settings to customize your vaporization experience. It truly is the Perfect Vaporizer. All right, I'm back with Poetic Math. He's into mushrooms. He is a, a Pacific Northwest refugee, yeah. if you will. Um, there is something else in your life that has changed in the last year. Yeah. Uh, you have become crypto-enabled, mm-hmm. possibly crypto-addicted. Yeah. You are consumed with cryptocurrency can you can you share with us this journey that went from 
um, periphery, yeah, I kind of hear about that thing, to every day you're spending hours researching cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I am, and I'm, I'm a bit crypto crazy for sure now. Um, so yeah, it, um, it was funny. I, it kind of came on my radar, I would say, back in like 2018, 19-ish, when it was kind of down after the pump, and I, I saw it, and I had a, a long story, but I'm not going to get into that. And, and But I didn't really think about anything about it. And then the idea came to me again randomly, um, right when the pandemic broke and they started cutting the checks. And I remember I spoke to a friend of mine and I said, hey, man, we should all be buying some crypto, uh, get some Bitcoin, because that's all I knew about was Bitcoin at the time. And I bet you that'd be good because we need to, you know, it's, everything's going to, the dollar's going to go down if they keep printing all this money and blah, 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 just basic th thoughts of it. And anyways, I didn't do anything. Instead, I followed uh, all the news headlines of the pandemic and all the freak out. And again, I mean, I'm not going to beat myself up too much. It was kind of hard not to get caught up in the way, tsunami of stuff happening at that time. It was pretty dramatic and crazy. And instead of actually acting on my instinct, I just sort of, uh, you know, twiddled my thumbs and didn't do anything. And that came until I would say it was what, uh, early or early part of this year of 2021. And, uh, you put out a podcast, um, you had interviewed a couple of people and it really intrigued me. Um, it got me interested in listening to that. You just kind of said, Hey, check it out. I got a new episode. I put, you know, so I said, Oh yeah, I'll check it out. Of course. And so I listened and I really liked, they talked a lot about like the different tensions within crypto and the difference between like, um, having security and privacy and, uh, decentralization. And, and it, that, that was an interesting, uh, introduction for me into like, you know, a deeper level of understanding of what it actually was. And then we had a conversation and I remember you said to me, um, Hey man, this is coming and you need to get on board with it because you're going to need to be able to like, be able to be fluent and discuss this with your kids and stuff in the future and your future generations and other things. Cause this is coming and nothing can stop. It. So, um, so I said, and, and honestly, it really spoke to me. And I thought, you know what? I think he's right. I think he's right. Like I've, you know, I've been, you know, so I said, all right, I'm going in. So it's my fault. I, I yeah. got you off the sidelines and I, and I put you into this crazy world of cryptocurrency. Yeah, it was uh, one of the better things that decisions I've made for as far as my investments go, for sure. So, so help the people because one, one of the things that I always am shocked by, and it, and it has to do with this whole, I'm consumed with information silos right now and just thinking yeah. about information silos. So, so when I get into cryptocurrency and the, and the cryptocurrencies that I'm looking at, um, I start to think that everybody knows about it. Mm -hmm. I start to think that, well, everybody else has this information too, right? And then you realize just how few people are actually in the crypto space still how few people know about it at all um what do you see when now that you've been consumed by it what percentages um have you come across stats of of who how many people are holding um how many people are actually using it's 
where are we at with cryptocurrency in terms of adoption and education within the broader public? Yeah, that's, um, I don't have a lot of uh, real exact data points on that though, that specific part, but I can kind of talk a little bit about it. Um, so I think we're still in the really early phases of crypto adoption. Um, certainly globally, that's the case. Well, I'll, I'll give one statistic. Okay. At one point I saw, now this was a few months ago, and these things right. change rapidly, yeah. but it was only like 1.5% of, and I think it was global population, um, had like a crypto wallet, had cryptocurrency, like, like, I don't want to say physically, but yeah. but they possessed cryptocurrency, about 1.5 of the global population. Yeah, and, and that's probably bumped up a little bit, but I don't think it's probably much more than 2% or not even at 2% yet, you know, since a few months ago. So I again, if you look at that number, then, you know, everybody who is, you know, st- still on the fence or hasn't gotten in yet or thinks they want to get in or is curious to get in it's still early in the game i i I really do feel that way as far as you know when you once you start going in down the rabbit hole with it and you see what's possible within the crypto space and where how many different um places that it can go and spread to um we're certainly early 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 in crypto adoption um globally and uh, a little further along here in the u.s um but we tend to be a bit of trend centers for the globe so i don't i don't think like i wouldn't describe anybody who like even myself who's just gotten in this year to it um as early in in the process in some ways you know that that brings me to one of the problems i have with cryptocurrency in this constant battle of trying to figure out what what is the right move to make with my money yeah. right which is an important thing the only, i've spent all my life training on how to survive and thrive within the economic system i'm an entrepreneur i right. you know managing your money is an extremely important part of our lives yeah uh, in this matrix on this terrestrial plane, right? If we're going to play within the system, you got to you got to play hard and play well. Yep. Um, that is the market caps. If we're very early in the process of the adoption, what scares me sometimes is just how large these market caps are um, compared to companies, uh, we were talking on the phone the other day and I said, okay, this company makes a product, it employs a thousand people and it has a smaller market cap than let's say X cryptocurrency. Yeah. And that's what scares me is, is how early we are in the adoption and yet how highly valuable these crypto properties are. Yeah, but then, I mean, there's different ways of looking at it. It, it, That's one way to look at it, and I would agree with you potentially on some of those things because what these companies are actually doing as far as the real products that they're putting out and and having and the the, the projects that are in development haven't got to that point where you see... you know, a company that's established that has a product that's, you know, been around for years and has a lower market cap. But let's, you know, let's look at, you know, and compare that to, uh, the, the, you know, the, the market cap of Tesla, you know what I mean? If you look at what they do comparatively to other motor companies, or I'm sorry, other (laughs) car companies, you know what I mean? Uh, they, they don't do as much, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, their evaluations that they're getting, I mean, and this has been the case, like, if you look at like Amazon, I think nowadays investing is a little different. It's a little more speculative. It's a little more of like, what's going to be once we do have our products available, what kind of revenues are we going to see? What kind of like 
things can we bring in? That's that I would push back a little on that and say, okay, you know, you, you got to look at you know the way newer companies now are are gaining their market cap, right? And then the other way I would say is like, but look at the whole crypto space in general. It's still as of today, it was like two point seven or two point eight trillion dollars total. That's all crypto everywhere. I mean gold's over ten trillion, just gold. Now I guess you know you could argue gold's been around five thousand years. Crypto's been around but that's a bad argument in my mind because this is a new technology. This is something new. Where like everything's happening faster and quicker nowadays. Okay. Uh, the pushback that when you were when you were talking, yeah. there are direct correlations that we could um, analogize with the dot com bubble. True. 1999, year 2000, where it was all about the future and and we're just giving these companies all this money because they're going to go and do these great big things even though they hadn't done anything yet. Yeah. And that's what scares me about cryptocurrency sometimes. And and uh, not just me, but that might be keeping a lot of people on the sidelines. Yeah. And so you've actually talked to me about um, your philosophy, and I want you to share your philosophy with people when it comes to investing in cryptocurrency and the way that you look at it, um, because I don't want to say it's the antidote for that dot-com bubble, right? Yeah. But in some ways, um, oh, and, and, if, and if somebody's listening and they don't quite understand, there are thousands of cryptocurrency projects that you can invest in right now that yeah. you can buy into thousands and so when we talk about cryptocurrency we're not just talking about bitcoin we're talking about all the cryptocurrencies that are available um and i believe the top 10 uh, list help me out with some market caps because it goes bitcoin and ethereum are are two giant market caps then yeah. it comes down quite a bit um, then Cardano and Solana, they all have, uh, what are we talking about, uh, 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 40, 40, 50 billion market cap? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, uh, so you got like, you know, if you, Bitcoin, the top one is like a $1.1 trillion market cap. Then you go down to like Ethereum, which is about, well, it's on the rise right now, but it's looking at about uh, $560 billion market cap. And then you go down to number three would be uh, Binance, uh, Smart Chain. Uh, I want to say they're around $93, $94 billion, uh, market cap. Then number four is actually Tether, but I don't really consider that a crypto. Sure, it's, that's it's a stable, stable coin. coin. So uh -huh. it's it's just pegged to the U.S. dollar. It's used to move in and out of crypto and kind of take your profits. But it, but I mean, it's it is or it isn't considered crypto. You can whoever I'm not here to argue that. But uh, then you go number five now is Solana. Uh, what is Solana at today? Yeah, today it passed Tether. Oh, did it? And it is up to seventy-three billion. Yeah, yeah. in market with a B. Yeah, and they've got a lot of projects in development. There's probably there's a lot of money coming into those projects. So a lot of transactions so, happening on that network. So let, let me let me take it back over because yeah. it was it was kind of my point. So then it goes to um, let's just look. Uh, Dogecoin at thirty-five billion. It really starts to drop off. Um, at that point, where where Chainlink is at fifteen, they're fifteen on the board for cryptocurrencies, fourteen billion. Yeah. Um, you get to the top thir the thirty uh, highest ranked coin is Theta. That's at seven billion. Mm -hmm. But still, Theta, one that I haven't, I personally have not heard of, is an eight billion dollar market cap. Right. To kind of my point is is like, how do you? 
how do you parse all of these giant numbers and yet know the fact that of crypto adoption, we are still so early in the game? How do you personally look at it? Yeah, you know, it, it again. It's it's just about perspective. I think if you look at, um, if you want to compare it to the dot com bubble, I think yes, there is going to probably more than likely be a dot com type bubbleish event that will happen in crypto at some point. You will probably see projects um, uh, fail and not work out and not be able to scale or not um, have some kind of problem or something that goes on. But you know. It, I, again, I was a little young when the crypt, when the dot com bubble happened, so I didn't get to invest through that and, and, and experience that firsthand to know. But if, if I understand it correctly, I mean, it was a lot of people investing in, um, you know, web based companies, you know, and I, I don't know really the mechanics of like when, what what went so wrong there and why so many went to zero. But what I do know is that if you would have just been on a Google or I don't know if Apple is considered part of that or what, probably not, because that was around before that. But like, if you were on a Google and invested then, and if it was $1,000 and you had spread, let's say you had spread 20,000 on uh, uh, 20 different companies and put 1,000 in all, and where you sit today now because of that $1,000 investment in Google then, you wouldn't have cared if the 19 other went to zero, right? So I bit, I, there's a bit of that in my philosophy and understanding is that I want to hedge and I want to be investing in the different different possibilities. I don't think that all will make it and all will be winners, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now. But if I'm on the right ones and if I do my due diligence and really look into what they're doing, the chances increase greatly that I can pick that one. It might not be Bitcoin. It might not be Ethereum. It might be Solana or Polkadot or uh, Cardano. I don't know. You know, it might not be any of those. It might be a coin right now that's sitting in 60th place. That's it might be Digibyte. Yes, let's hope so. <laughs> um, so, so, okay, so it's very interesting. And I, and I want to delve uh, more into that. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people, a lot of people think cryptocurrency is Bitcoin. Their understanding of cryptocurrency goes as far as Bitcoin. Yeah. And Bitcoin is a currency. It is a proof of work concept that is a currency. It has a finite supply, um, and it is meant to be a currency. It's meant to be uh, transacted, held, exchanged, right? What got me really excited about cryptocurrency was when I started to understand cryptocurrency as a platform mm -hmm. and how a lot of cryptocurrencies weren't like Bitcoin necessarily. They were blockchain technology that was created to then go and create other projects that could use that quote unquote currency or the the mothership, if you will, coin yeah. um, to transact to move data within their projects. Um, so so kind of help us. Where do you go? G give some give some tips on what you look for or how you look for it when you are investigating cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So uh, there's there's a lot of different principles that you have to begin to like understand with crypto, in my opinion. And um, none of it's perfect. Right. There's always like I would say tensions between the different qualities that each crypto kind of has inherent in its nature. So, uh, you know, you you look at um, what I, I guess where I'd go is the first thing that I 
value greatly. And what I do believe is going to be the backbone of crypto is uh, decentralization. So meaning we're not going to put all the decisions on a, uh, you could think of it as a company or a platform, right? Or into a group of, a small group of people's hands that are the decision makers for what's going to happen within that company or platform, right? It's going to be distributed amongst the actual users. So it's, it's very, very, to me, a very true kind of democratic. Now, again, it has its, that has its pitfalls as well. It doesn't necessarily, you know, not anything is perfect in and of itself. But again, it's all about tensions and understanding, you know, give and takes. Um, so, so that's what I look for first is like how, how big is the network, like the user base? How many, how well distributed is the actual coin itself? And um, then what, then the next layer that you have to kind of go, go into is, well, what's being done with that coin that, all these different people are holding are they reinvesting it back into the platform to try to create more and do more so i really like to look i mean one that comes to mind right away that's to me is one of the top ones from the beginning is cardano has i believe something like 70 percent of its supply of its coin staked back into its um uh, into its system so basically what it signals to me is that the people are in, in taking and buying into a company and investing that money back in. They're not holding it as a currency privately in their wallet, hoping just that it goes to the moon and that they're going to get rich. They're actually saying, okay, I'm going to stake this back in, which staking is a fabulous um, invention, in my opinion. You know, it's 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 a, like a way to stake it back, put it back and invest it. But it, you're also, it's secured. It's secured through a smart contract. So you're not at risk of like losing it. You hear those horror stories in crypto of people forgetting their thing and doing this and this and that. I mean, yes, you need to pick, understand and have your your private keys and, and all of that for it. But like, it, you're, it's not at risk from being like stolen. It's in a contract that's on the blockchain that says that you own it, that you're staking it back into the project itself. And again, when you look at Cardano, to me, that's the real strength of what they did in the way that they sort of built out their 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 coin or their their company or whatever you want to call it. I think that we've we've used the term community. Yeah, their community. Um, they built that out first, and as that's a good word for it. And and they didn't have a lot of projects. They didn't have a lot of real things. So in a lot of ways, it kind of felt like Tesla circa uh, 2016 before they were putting out cars but yet they still had these crazy evaluations of what they were going to do right yeah um so there's a bit of that uh i i would i would say you know cardano has a little bit of a feeling to me like tesla but i actually do think and we're starting to see tesla actually deliver um more and more and more every year and I think we're going to see the same thing come true with Cardano, and they're going to start delivering more and more projects. They finally, September of this year, in the beginning of September, launched um, their ability to do smart contracts on the network. Um, and so that's fantastic. And now that's going to open up the door for DeFi and all kinds of other things that they're planning. NFTs are going to be coming soon with that. Uh, uh, DeFi equals decentralized finance. Yes. Um, so I'll try to, uh, I'll try to translate as we go so that anybody who um, doesn't, doesn't have the lingo down and is just interested on the periphery, I do not want to, I, I don't want this conversation to be over your head um, out there in the listening audience, because cryptocurrency, you know, as I as I told Pomo many months ago, uh, it is coming. It is the future, and 
you know, you're going to have to start understanding the language eventually, um, and you're not going to be late at this point. Nope. You're not going to be late in a year. Um, whether you use it, you know, for couponing or you use it for loyalty points at, at another, at a, at a retailer, or you use it as investment, um, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming in some form of fashion. Um, and so getting used to language. Hel- help us out. Yeah. Uh, give, us, give us a layman's rundown on proof of work, which is like Bitcoin, which is the most popular, largest cryptocurrency, um, proof of work versus proof of stake. You mentioned staking. I would assume Cardano is a proof of stake platform. Mm-hmm. W- what is that difference? Uh, I'm just going to give a like basic, basic understanding because I'm not anyway an expert in it yet. But uh, uh, proof of work basically is done through a mining process where you're solving the actual uh, problems. It's typically done automated with some kind of these machines that run and they solve these problems, which basically validates the consensus of the network digitally that's existing. So every time a new block or a new wallet address is created, um, more or less, uh, um, that that it, mining like, machine validates that and says that it's 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 there. Yes, you've got these miners, and they earn they earn um, what what do a, they earn? A reward. They it, earn it, a reward for their work to validate um, the hash the transactions that are trying to go through. It, yes. it, it puts it puts anonymous anonymous uh, person over here with anonymous person over here that's trying to send the money in between, and it says, yep, this is a good transaction. You're good to go. Um, it does that through computing power, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So yeah. so um, they have these computers that are solving these problems, and they get a reward for that mining. Yeah, from- and, it, and it's expensive. It's a lot of energy and power. Those are kind of the things that have been the complaints. I mean, I guess, again, I don't want to say that it is that or this because it, it's all your perspective and where you see it, but compared to proof of stake, it is a lot more expensive. It's a lot. Well, that's not even true necessarily either. Because so, so, what, so don't don't yeah, worry yeah. about all that. Okay, okay. What is proof of stake then? Uh, so proof of stake is basically um, basically you have a node validator who is going to validate all those transactions, um, and, and, and it's much faster and much it's mu- and less energy uh, consuming to do so, and. Um, again, I don't, I've never run a node and I don't know how to do that or, and, and again, I think every network, depending on which one it is, there's sort of different thresholds that are required in order to run a node. So some require like Solana, I know requires a lot of, you have to hold a lot of Solana coin in order to do it, which now the value, you know, with where it's at market cap wise, is like, you got to have a lot of money invested if you want to run a node there. Um, but more or less, they're just kind of validating. It's a group, you know, again, it's a, a community consensus then. And, and again, some protocols break it up. And there's, uh, you know, some that do like these sharding where they break it up into sections. And then so like he's validating that I've got what I've seen in this area of the blockchain and that then together we're both validating that. And then in the group consensus says, okay, those multiple people are all saying that that area is, is confirmed and is what it is. So then we accept that into the, overall network so that it's not the whole entire blockchain doesn't have to be validated by each and every single individual node validator. So there's things like that. Um, 
and, and that's right now, that's why we're so early in this when you step back and look at it is like the best mechanism and how this works hasn't been determined yet, in my opinion. Like it's still be, there, there. There's a lot of versions of this stuff out there right now. Um, and we don't know which one's going to end up being the one or the best one. And again, that's why I think if you're if you want to get into the space, you know, do you got to at least start digging and understanding this part of it and maybe make some decisions, understand how um, how the network operates and runs. And, and, and that's part of it. You know, well, how many how many transactions per second can the network handle? You know, what what mechanism does it work, you know, within the proof of stake? How decentralized is the node validators and how broken up are they? What are the thresholds and the requirements to become a node validator? You know, I personally, you know, I'd like to see it where, you know, where you have, again, high in decentralization, high in throughput and speed and number of transactions per second, low cost to transact on the network. I mean, that's been, you know, certainly your bugaboo about Ethereum and anyone would agree and everyone you listen to talk about Ethereum is that the transaction costs are ridiculous. I mean, what is it? You want to send a hundred bucks of uh, Ethereum right now? It might cost you. And again, it varies depending it on the vary. time. It could cost you 60. It could cost you 40. It could cost you 20. Yeah. But no matter what it costs, it's too high. It's it's a huge percentage of what you're trying to do, especially unless you're a millionaire moving millions and millions of dollars, then it's like, whatever, who cares? 50 bucks, whatever. Okay, good. But I mean, again, if the goal of cryptocurrency and, 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 you know, I think it's important to go back to this point. And one of the things that got me so interested in crypto is I see it as a, a populist movement against authoritarian centralized powers. And it's, and it's actually happening. You know what I mean? Like the people are getting together and saying, we don't want that old way we want to do it our way. We can figure this out. It's not just disrupting money supply, but at this point, it's disrupting the stock market, in my opinion. It's disrupting finance. It's disrupting so many things that is giving, um, as you put it, it's a populist movement. It's putting more power into the hands of the individual yes. without the intermediary, without needing that intermediary, taking out uh, what what uh, what some might call the rent seekers. Exactly. It's kicking the rent seekers out and the people with all the fees and the toll booths. And they're giving um, those back to the people instead. Giving those back to the people. And so, that's by design. That's by design. That's the, in, 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 I see that as the inherent big value of it is that, you know, and like we see this globally when you look at the globe, right? We, we see governments, if we just want to stay in the government space, getting more heavy handed, more authoritarian, more lockdowns, more mandates, more restrictions, more can't travel, more can't do this, more got to do this, yeah. more got to have vaccines. So now what you have, if you just look, and I'm not talking about crypto right now, I'm talking about just look at the people. The people are starting to push back. I mean, from Italy to, uh, you know, Australia to, um, you know, I mean, Canada somewhat, but France, you know, France for sure. Yes. I mean, all around the world, the people are pushing back saying, no, this isn't okay. And, and I mean, you know, if we get into that part of it, and again, I think it's important to talk about this because I do see crypto involved in that as as a way. It's it's tied to that. It's it's, it's similar. It could be that it's part of the revolution. It's part of the great awakening. Yeah. Um. It's a tool that's moving us forward. Um. That could give more power back to the people over their money. Yeah. Over over what some would consider one of the largest systems of control across the globe. 
group. Right. And, and I think when you look at what is happening, if you look at like certainly within the U.S., um, some of the restrictions and the things that are trying to do, you know, definitely China, right? They're banning it all. Like you can't do anything crypto related in China now. Well, I mean, come on. They're the, like the most authoritative regime in the world right now. So, okay, that makes perfect sense. Like look at the threat that and crypto not, is. Not, not the most authoritative, the most authoritarian. Is that, is that what I said? I'm yeah, sorry. It's okay. Yeah. We're having fun. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, and, and that is the threat that crypto poses. Now you see... I think what you look at when you look at uh, the SEC and some of the things that they're looking at within crypto now and Gary Gensler's, you know, heading that up, uh, which supposedly he's very crypto knowledgeable. And I've actually listened. He, did, he used to uh, teach a class at MIT on cryptocurrency and you can actually find it online and listen. It's a lot of hours and I've listened to some of them, but I couldn't make it through all of it. But anyways, um, that they're in a weird place right now. I don't think they well, know what to do about. Crypto. Well, let, let me let me interrupt because it is mm-hmm. confusing. If, if people are on the sidelines looking in and hearing your explanation, right? Uh, the explanation was fo- supposed to be for the the layman, and it got kind of complex. Yeah. Now, I would encourage somebody to to go ahead and look up a video. POW uh, versus um, POS, yeah. you know, proof of work versus proof of stake. Uh, you're not going to get an easy layman uh, explanation. It does get a little bit complicated, but please look it up because uh, we're just two guys. And let me just say this uh, midway through, we're not offering any financial advice. We're not financial advisors. We're just a couple of guys out here having fun in this crazy world we live in. Yeah. But let me, let me talk to you about something that's bothered me from the beginning. I am an XRP holder, okay? Okay. Um, XRP was the first one that I believe was the government sued. SEC said, hey, you guys are more of a stock, and so you're operating outside of the SEC regulations. You need to come in. Uh, We're going to bust you on that. And XRP said, no, 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 no. We are a currency. We're allowed under current systems. I've actually had a bit of a problem with cryptocurrency because I see where the government is coming from. In a lot of ways, when I'm investing in some of these projects, I even call it investing, right? When I'm investing in these projects and I buy the coin associated with the project, I am investing almost like a stock. I'm investing, I look at it as I'm investing in a platform. So... So what I'm saying is, is that there there are some merits to what the government is saying. This big bad government that we're all, you know, don't don't like. Stay out of our money. Stay out of our stay out of our business. Damn it. Right. Well, in some ways, I can see the point they're making, and and it gets complex and confusing for people sitting on the sideline. You know, for example, the use case for XRP, the way that they stated about it is, this could replace the SWIFT. Uh, transfer system. So uh, talking about uh, business to business, country to country, uh, it takes a couple days for um, checks to clear within the SWIFT financial system, right? The XRP said they can uh, they can move that down to a minute mm-hmm. um, through this digital system, this XRP currency. Um, right now, it's looking good for XRP uh, in their case with the SEC, but it is it's a bit of a conundrum. How do you look at it? Yeah, I, I mean, it is weird. It's it's a bit of a hybrid, right? It's it's part uh, currency because you can transact and send somebody and there's a value and people are doing that and using it that way. And at the same time, it's a bit of a security because 
it has value inherent in it in the because of what's being built on it and in what it's accomplishing and doing and it goes up or down in value you know i mean typically we you know i guess currencies do as well but only kind of in relation to other currencies so in their less volatile than this so i guess that's where it comes to me so i mean when i think about it i think about it like this if you just talk about bitcoin because it's the biggest and the simplest one to think about is it a, is it a currency or is it a security okay right now i think it's acting more as a security because most people aren't transacting and i should say most people in the us are not transacting in bitcoin okay i know you know recently el salvador's got you know bitcoin as a currency it's approved there people are transacting on the lightning network with it they are using it to go and buy their coffee at starbucks whatever um i am still in a position where i wouldn't want to to make a purchase in a in Bitcoin because I wouldn't want to pay the taxes on it as well as give it up now because I think where we are in adoption with Bitcoin, if Bitcoin ends up making it, is so early that it's inevitable that the price is going to continue to rise because of some of the things you talked about with the the limited supply of it. Well, I, I have to interrupt because yeah. you, you said a lot there like okay. that the, the might confuse people. You'd have to pay taxes if you buy a coffee with bitcoin well because of the way the definition is right now with bitcoin that it is being viewed as a security it would be then considered a taxable event if you were to transact and sell in that as long as that business organization reported that back i mean it would seem silly to me if you're transacting three or seven dollars of bitcoin that but but technically yes technically in that way yeah. I, I you know and i think that's silly the, it speaks to what you were you were saying about how early we are in the process i don't like using Bitcoin as the example, because that one to me um, is so easy to prove and show as a currency. And, and and you may not want to, There may you may think that there are barriers that um, de-incentivize you from actually using your Bitcoin, but that's the very thing that to me is keeping it from broader adoption is the actual use of it. Um, I just wrote a blog at my, at my business blog at smokeandjays.com about the wonderful holistic circle um, that uh, I pay a vendor in Bitcoin, and I accept Bitcoin um, on my platform, on my retail platform, smokeandjays.com. And so if you buy this vendor's product in Bitcoin from me, our that whole life of the product, that whole life cycle from manufacturer to consumer all stays within the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Yeah. And that's where I think we need to be going. But you're right to point out that right now the government, by saying you have to treat it like a security, um, is de-incentivizing the actual use of said currency. Right. And, I, and so and my final point on it would just be that I think what will eventually end up happening with Bitcoin is it will get to a certain price point where the volatility will... Um, will will slow down and stop and not you're not going to see these crazy swings right and i think it what it means is it's going to get up in number to get there i don't know what that number is per se i mean maybe it's 200,000 maybe it's 500,000 maybe it's a million dollars whatever it is but eventually there's going to be a price point that it reaches that kind of everybody says okay here it is and and again i think it's going to get there as that adoption grows. So it's not just like, oh, if we just all sit and do nothing with our Bitcoin, that it's going to go up in value. No, it, it only goes up in value the more decentralized the network gets, the more robust everything is built out, the, you know, the more 
features and options you do have to transact in it. And so it's, 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 again, this is what I talk about the tensions, right? There's, it's not one or the other. And so, um, for for the sake of conservatism, yeah. I have to point out that there are people out there that think 30,000, 32,000, 25,000 are levels of stability within Bitcoin. So you, you only gave pie in the sky really high numbers. There are also people out there that think that it could settle half of what it is right now. Just 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 to let people know there are varying opinions on that on that where we're going to land True. with stability. True. I just mentioned the bigger ones. Again, my thesis is that it's going to go up to get to that number because then, you know, it, it's that's where it would stabilize. I think we've seen a lot of volatility from the 30 to the 60 to the, you know, like really from 5 to 20 to back to 5 to 10. Sure. But, you know, but regardless, because so, yeah. I think you also said nobody knows. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And so anyways, wherever that goes, it goes, and then it will stabilize eventually. Uh, and then I think at that point you would see it switch to more of a currency then. And, and, you know, once it's at a stable point and, and you have that. It's and very it, interesting. I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. It, what, it, what comes first, uh, it, the adoption and use of Bitcoin or stabilization? I, it's, it's, I think it's going to happen, um, together, you know, like as that's what I do, I do believe is that as converge. Yes, exactly. And then it'll hit a point where it's like, okay, this is just what it is now. Bitcoin is this, and now we can start using it. And then again, is the government just going to stay open? And again, that's where I got to the point of is like, I don't think the government really knows what to do and how to look at it, you know, in a lot of ways. And there's, there, there's a bit of a standoff right now in the crypto space. The government is one of the giant toll booths. You yeah. know, we're talking about decentralization, and we've got a government that's—the the reason they don't know and they don't understand isn't because they can't grasp the concept. They're trying to figure out how they put the toll booths in to yep. get the fees and get the money Absolutely. to, to help the largesse of government always grow, always right. grow. That's their—that that inherently is the—that's um, the driver of any system is to grow, and unfortunately, we the people need to take— Take more control and stem that stem that growth in government because it's overreached yeah. at this point. Um, and the decentralization is one aspect of it. So I didn't like that you went to Bitcoin because I think that's okay. the easiest one to show as a currency. Well, before we end, I want to talk about the other ones because again, there's proof of work and there's Bitcoin. Bitcoin's the big bad boy in the room. It's yeah. the first the move. Old man. It's the first mover. It's the old man. It's also proof of work, um, the first concept. But in the last couple of years, proof of stake has come along. And this is where there is research required. This is where it gets a little interesting from my perspective. And, and before I let you take over, I'll talk about two, two different coins um, that I really liked, I'll say liked, because when I originally invested in them, I'll put it in past tense, but Waves and Solana. And through my methodology of the way I invest, um, I've been burnt on um, when somebody tells me something Mm. and I take action. Arr! Yeah. There's a little inside joke for everyone. (laughs) And I take action versus when I look and see and prove the value of a platform, yes. and I and I I do call these cryptocurrencies platforms, um, and 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 I might be able to explain why later. But I really enjoyed Waves, and I really enjoyed Solana, Solana more recently. But both of those, I looked into enough where I understood what they were doing. 
I understood, and I understood how they could benefit my life. Yes. And therefore, that made my investment easier to step off that cliff into the unknown. Yep. Um, okay, so that's where we were trying to go with this because you've do, you've dove in you, you went from me telling you hey you need you better get to know this because you're gonna have to teach your girls mm-hmm. to you uh, by far spend more time on this daily than I do than I can right um, w- what do you look for we, you talked you gave some technicals when I first asked that yeah but but help us also understand just where you're looking at. I call them platforms. Maybe you can help people understand why I'm calling them platforms and and what you're doing in your research to prove out these platforms. Yeah, so what really what it comes down to is I look for a lot of like development because development and lots of development, lots of projects coming on board within a platform uh, signal to me a lot of decentralization, a lot of spread it out of activity within the network or the platform. Okay. So, you know, the ones that I would give is an example that are easy. I mean, one of the first ones that I've really enjoyed and saw the the network was Polkadot. You know, there's, there's literally hundreds of projects being built on Polkadot. Another great one that you mentioned that you really enjoy is Solana. And, and the, again, there's over 500 projects that are be in development right now on Solana. Now, again, this is why it's early in the game is we've only really seen maybe 10, 20, 30 of those 500 on Solana, for instance, actually go live and actually be out doing stuff. But when you look at the the web page and you go and you do your research and you start to dig around and you start to see the massive amount of development that's being built there, you know, you have to, I mean, to me, it gets me excited about a project because again, does it mean all those projects are going to be successful and go on to be, you know, winners? No, but some are, you know, and again, and things are going to get built out in it. As far as the platform language, I just thought of this analogy. You could yeah. almost look at, at it like software. Yes. So this blockchain, and I'm not talking general right now, I'm talking about the Solana blockchain or the Cardano blockchain. These are separate blockchains. They're separate technologies that coders, developers, mathematicians have built, right? So look at that as like a piece of software. So uh, Polkadot, Dot, you mentioned them. They have their own blockchain. They have their own software. Now, why do I call it a platform? Because other projects or companies or cryptocurrencies are building their project, their currency, their um, platforms on the Polkadot blockchain, or that, let's just, for the sake of the analogy, call that software. Same with Solana. And that's that's what got me the most interested in cryptocurrency is when I started understanding that concept, started understanding the cryptocurrencies as platforms, yes. and then now I don't just have to say, oh, you know, the uh, people got to use their Bitcoin because until they use their Bitcoin, it's not really going to have adoption and it's not, I don't really understand the value, um, you know, and somebody could say, oh, it's a, you know, it's a store of value. Well, it's all, that's all just a confidence game. Yeah. Right. That's all. That's just money. That's like why this piece of paper means that I get a uh, uh, one hundred of those copper copper little pennies. Okay. Yeah. So when I started seeing this proof of stake and these platforms, if you will, I started understanding how a project within the platform could actually take off and receive broad adoption, and that will then bring the mothership, the software, if you will, the the 
platform blockchain, that will bring it up as well. Yeah. Up with it. I think we had one example. I was I was trying to uh, figure out off uh, off the mic. I was trying to get my head wrapped around it. Um, what was that blockchain and what was that coin? Because it's kind of a good example of this platform and then something built on the platform becoming popular. Oh, so you were talking about Polkadot and then you were talking about its parachain uh, called Kusama. And so Kusama basically was built as sort of a, they, they call it a canary because it's sort of a canary in the coal mine. As an, They're using it as a sort of testing uh, to, before they actually brought the parachain um, concept into the .NET network itself directly. And so that's, you know, that's coming um, here this week is when it's going to go live. So anyways, Kusama um, is a is a launch pad for new project ideas. And what's really interesting about it that I enjoy the most is the community aspect of it. Is So if you um, go onto the Kusama uh, network website and you can go and look and find your way through and find where what projects are going, they do auctions every, I think, I want to say it's every month or a couple of months. I don't know the exact details. Um, but you can look at the, look through the different various projects that are vying for uh, people's uh, um, stakes. And so what they want to do, what you do is you, you go in and you say, oh, I like this project. It really seems cool. It's, it could be a DeFi project or a game that's being built or an NFT uh, you know, marketplace, whatever it may be that you go in and see. And so you then what you do is you take your Kusama and you stake it into that project. Well, uh, how it works, and it's it's complicated, but more or less what you do is if that one that you are have chosen is it becomes the winner of the auction, then you get airdropped that new project's tokens at no cost, and it's all released over time, you know, and it's there is a bit of a lockup period for your Kusama that you put into it, um, but it's a really neat way you can think of it as like crowdfunding to start a company, and the people get to invest, and you know, if you pick one that ends up being a great winner, and the coin goes great, you're going to get, you know, and again, all of them are different as far as how many of the coins and what you drop based on, you know, the tokenomics and the values of what they think they are, but you know, you it could end up getting a, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand of a coin that you know, takes off and you end up investing and getting a lot of money from so it. So before we get into the weeds, yeah. basically a project, you called it a parachain. Yes. And I don't want to get into what a parachain is versus, but it's on the right. dot network, polka dot network. There's another project that is basically an incubator, a launch pad yeah. for other projects. Yes. And that's that's kind of where I was going with that is I don't hear anything about that with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a currency. Yeah. Bitcoin is being used. And this is where we get into, you know, stock, uh, the stock analogy versus the currency analogy. Yes. I love the concept of these platforms. Mm -hmm. um, we've done very well with Solana. The reason I liked Solana and I said, OK, go is because as you and I were looking into the projects on the Solana network, We've had many conversations about the future of gaming. Yeah. If we we've had many philosophical conversations about you know I always bring up Ready Player One where yeah. we, we, it's inevitable. You know these kids there are people that are going to choose to plug in and spend most of their time plugged in to whether you call it the metaverse that's a popular word lately. Right. Whether you call it the matrix, how whatever you want to call it, they're going to be plugged into that. The future of that is going to be the blockchain. There are going to be systems built upon the blockchain, uh, currencies, NFTs, all these things built within it. Yes. 
So when I saw that one of the first games, and these aren't built out yet, people. So these, these, you, you aren't late. The, the uh, all of these projects and all of these things are still in this coming stage. So we saw Star Atlas, yeah, this game, and it was built up. It's very popular in terms of people's interest within the cryptocurrency community, the gaming community, mm-hmm. right? There, this is one of those first movers. It's one of the first big exploration games. And I saw that it was being built on the Solana network. And I said, well, there you go. Yep. There you go right there. That's a proof case to me. Yep. That's real world uh, projects that are going to come out there. It already has wild, um, enthusiastic interest when the game isn't even built yet. Right. Okay. It combines NFTs. It combines in-game currency. Um, so you and I, we went out, we bought a little bit of the in-game currency. Mm-hmm. Um, but more, But more so than buying a little bit of the in-game currency, it was that... It was the platform that it was built on. Yes. Because to your point, how many projects are coming? That's just one. Yes. I might have 150 other projects coming that have an opportunity to lift that mothership software, that boat, that currency, that platform that is Solana with the other projects that are coming along. It's a tsunami. So, so that's when I decided, oh, I see that. I feel that. I get that. So I invested in that particular project. And again, whereas there have been cryptocurrencies in the past where somebody has told me, yes. this is uh, privacy, Jay, this is the future, this is what's going to happen. And I was, I like shrugged my shoulders and said, well, I guess I better buy it. Right. You know, are <laughs> another inside joke for those out there. So, um, very interesting conversation. If if I could continue it on, yeah. One of the things that keeps coming up that maybe our listeners aren't very well versed in, that was actually the thing that you and I both kind of gravitated towards with cryptocurrency that got us into it. I'm almost going in reverse because yeah. the Solana platform and this and this video game um, was kind of the most recent. But what really got us into it was something that's within this video game that we're interested in. You've mentioned it a couple times. Yeah. It's called DeFi. Yes. And so this game is going to have staking within it, built in somehow. We don't know yet. The, right. the owners, the creators have just said. But this was one of the things that drew me into cryptocurrency even more. We've used a couple terms. We've talked about stable coins, and we've talked about DeFi, decentralized finance. Um, before, before I give it up to Pomo, I do want to say that I am working on a new YouTube channel. I'm working on a new platform, to use that word again. It's called Crypto for Dads. I don't know when we're going to release it. I don't know which, where you're going to find out on the Conservative Hippie Podcast first or on my Twitter, at JFrat. But if you're interested in cryptocurrency and you're still on the sidelines, I'm creating a platform that will help you onboard with eyes wide open. So somebody isn't just telling you something. It will help you get educated and go into the space gently. But anyways. Yeah. DeFi. Yes. DeFi and staking. Please tell us a little bit about DeFi and why you're so excited about it. Yeah. It was, again, like you said, it was my first love in crypto. And I think it's just because, you know, I've I've been a pretty conservative investor my whole life with things. But um, 
it's like you can't you know i i was you know i remember when i was a teenager and my mom we were going and getting little cds from the bank and i was getting my four and a half percent and you know and i i barely had any money but i had you know two thousand dollars and my mom would say let's go to the bank and go get a cd and we did and i was earning my four and a half percent and you know in a year later that thing was worth four and a half percent more and i thought that's cool you know and and kind of liked that and Nowadays we're getting point zero it's something. It, that's it. My my biggest percent right now with a brick and mortar bank is point two five percent. Woo! <laughs> Watch out, everybody. Meanwhile, inflation is rising. Yeah, yeah, and we're printing money. Um, but uh, let me see. The the other thing is, you got four and a half percent. I had an E Trade account years ago when I first set up an E Trade account. I got five percent just on my savings account within that E Trade account. Awesome. And that's could could you imagine being a millennial right now or a Gen Z that's grown up never zero. never even understanding uh, uh, compound interest and yielding? Right. Well. DeFi is bringing yielding to to the unbanked, to the people that want to break free from banks. That's part of this whole decentralization. Yeah, and that that was what drew me in. I could see, oh my gosh, I can actually stake this here and do this and earn five percent, seven percent, as much as up to twelve percent on sums. And I mean, again, this is locked in a smart contract, not held by anybody else, just between me and the network, that I can lock that in in a smart contract. It's still mine. I'm not giving it over to any institution or any company or anybody else. It's in that network for my participation in investing it back into the network. It gives me returns. It gives me yield back, and it feels good. And it's with an asset that so far has been also appreciating, which is great too. So that's like a double win for me. An- another concept that that kind of um, a lot of people don't quite understand. They think, oh, cryptocurrency, it's volatile. Mm-hmm. I watched Bitcoin go from sixty-one uh, down to thirty, down mm-hmm. to twenty-something, 20, right? And they're 20. like, I don't, you know, they stress mm-hmm. out. Especially now that Bitcoin's at sixty-three at that level again, they might be saying, oh, well, it's going to crash again. Right. So they're worried. There are these things called stable coins that are out there. Yep. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about Tether because Tether has a lot of um, strange mojo about it. There's a lot of weird news, but there's there are stable other stable coins out there like USDC. Um, some platforms have their own stable coin, like Waves has USDN, where it's pegged to the dollar and you don't necessarily have the volatility of participating in the cryptocurrency space. You get these stable coins and you can participate in the yielding and the staking and the DeFi space without necessarily that price um, price volatility of the, the mothership coin, the, plat- the, the platform coin, um, what have you. Yeah. No, and that's great for the really conservative person who's just like, hey, I want to dabble in this. 
I can start off with getting some stable coin. It's pegged to the dollar. I can take maybe it's a couple thousand bucks and I can remember what it was like years ago when I used to earn, you know, 7% and my CD and you can do that again. And that's, yes. that's great to just dip your toe in that way and get a taste that way. And what really is great about the platforms that have their own stable coin on them is that you can transact within that same platform and move in, in and back in between if you want to get more risky and say, oh, wow, it looks like this coin is down. Maybe it's going to go back up. So I'm going to buy a little bit. I'll, maybe I'll buy $500 or $1,000. And then it does. And you, and you get your wish. And it goes up and it doubles in the next uh, six months. And you say, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to take some of that profit out. So you take that you know original investment and you pull it out into stablecoin. And then you go and you put that over and you're staking it and you're earning your 7% or 8%, whatever the number is, 4%, depending on the, on the, on the platform. And you're still investing into the overall platform because they're giving you that ability you're still supporting that network and you know you've taken some profit out and you can play back and forth with that you know and that's again a much lower risk one you got to know what you're doing and look at charts and things and you know some of the basic stuff but again go back to the overall thing and this is this is i guess you know would be my biggest point of where we are and why i think we're early when you talked about market caps and i said okay but look overall cryptocurrency market 2.7 2.8 trillion dollars total gold's 10 trillion well when we talk about DeFi and we talk about being able to earn yield and get some you know some gains on you know your asset whether that's stable coin or the the, the coin of the protocol um people out there are yield starved for for like a couple decades now and again this is where i go back to the populist movement i think they're tired of that they know now it's being pushed in our face because we have inflation on the rise. Gas is what I just looked at the sign here. I was shocked when I lived here a year ago and the pandemic broke in March of the 20. I remember seeing it and it was like $2. It's over $4 now here. I mean, that's double. That's your gas. Okay. You use that every day. Food prices are up. You name it. Okay. So inflation is real. It's happening. People know that. They're not stupid. Okay. They're sensing that. They're getting nothing at the bank. In my opinion, people are pissed. And then not, let's not even factor in companies. You have companies that have moved into cash because of the pandemic and pulling back being conservative that have giant amounts of cash on their balance sheets. You've seen Tesla invest into Bitcoin. You know, they, they put, what was it, $5 billion or some crazy number into Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. As a, as a, as a, you know, and, and look how well they've done with that. You know, so I think we're going to see more and more of the trillions upon trillions upon trillions of investable dollars that are out globally in the world move into the crypto space. And I'm not saying it's going to happen like overnight. It's going to take time, but we're already seeing it. And I think that trend is only going to continue. And that's why I say we're really early. And you look at if just one or two percent of these companies or these individuals, I mean, we're seeing news all the time. Investment brokerages here in the U.S. are asking for access to Bitcoin and Ethereum are the two main players that they feel comfortable with now being able to offer that to their client base. That money is going to start flowing into these into these cryptocurrencies where people can get actual gains not losses against inflation it's to feels inevitable to me that that's going to happen and so again if we have just like one percent of that move in in the next couple of years i mean we're talking about cryptocurrencies overall market cap going to four trillion 
and maybe six trillion, you know, and then and then ten trillion, and we're going to be looking at the same market cap as what gold is. And it, it it's with how flat gold has been in the last ten years. Again, it's not like you can go to gold and really hedge against inflation either. It's down from ten years ago if, if you would have bought in two thousand eleven, actually. So, you know, where are these people going to go? The money's got to go somewhere. To me, crypto is, it's fast, it's innovative, it's happening. This is the future, like we've talked about, and you're going to see more money flow into it. And so there you go. You know, like, I mean, you don't even have to get crazy, you know. I mean, Bitcoin will probably, it still is, you know, close to I don't whatever the percentage is. It's it's the lion's share of the market is in Bitcoin, you know. So you don't have to get crazy with stuff. But again, I, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to tell people what to do, but I well, I'm excited no, you, about it. You are. I'll I'll interrupt right here. You okay. you are an advocate. Uh you you you're like one of these vaccinated people, Pomo, where you just want everybody to be vaccinated. That's right. You you've caught the disease of cryptocurrency and damn it, you want everybody to catch the fire. Well, no, you'd have to see crypto is the vaccine. Okay, I, I don't know. I, I'm lost within my own analogy. Yeah. And that's it. We've been going an hour and 42. Um, stay with me here. Uh, I am creating this crypto for dads. I'm pretty excited about it because there there are some very basic things that can help um, mature people that are starved for yield um, get into this space and participate without having to know the hash rate, this and that, you know, every platform, it can be overwhelming. And there are a lot of ways to get into it without being overwhelmed. Um, and thank you, Poetic Math, for coming on once again. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Yeah, me too. And uh, we will see you again. All right, guys, peace. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokeAndJays.com. Everything for your smoke and lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.